Hello, um, my name is Dean, and I have a new life in Christ. Um, I'm recovering from idolizing my wife, rescuing my children, and lust. Let's pray. Lord, let my words point to your grace in my life and give hope to those listening. May the power of your love, Lord Jesus, break the chains of sin for everyone in this room. Amen. In the winter of 1955, I was born into a shareholder's family on a northwest Iowa farm. I was born with cerebral palsy, and the doctor said that I would never walk and likely live a closed-in life. Now, God says in Psalm 139 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So who's right, the doctors or God? Coming to understand God's perspective on my disability is an important part of my story of grace. Until I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I struggled with fitting into a world designed for healthy bodies. I was obviously different, made fun of in school, avoided by people who felt uncomfortable being around a disability, and rejected by employers and girls. I just wanted to be normal and fit in. So why does God create people with disabilities? Jesus said this about a blind man in John 9:3. It is not that this man sinned, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. I now have come to accept this divine truth about my disability. I am wonderfully created by God and for his glory. Now God has already started to redeem some of my physical disabilities. As a child, my mother exercised my weak limbs every day and tried to get me to walk. She told me when she was in the nursing home one time, when you started crying, when, when we started exercising, you would start crying, then I'd start crying, which then made both of us cry. One day, she placed a dish towel around my waist, and she slowly raised me to my feet. To my mother's joy, I learned to stand on my own, and later, I started walking. I still have functional limits and pain, but for God's glory, he redeemed me from a closed-in life using the sacrificial love of my mother as an instrument of his grace. I also like to think that the master potter is smiling down at me as I navigate the earth on his training wheels. Now, it, it even gets better. God didn't just help me to walk. He gave me an abundant life. Amen. I went on to learn how to navigate life with one good arm and wobbly legs, including playing baseball, golf, and tennis, and traveling around the globe during my career. God didn't see my disability. All he saw was his glory in me. Praise God. After moving away from this God-fearing farm community, I struck out to find my own place in the world. Darkness began to engulf me. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil's strategy was to use money, opportunity, temptation, and isolation to lure me into this trap. I spent the next two decades experiencing life without God. I was the worst of sinners before receiving Christ. 
I was a co-conspirator in the murder of my unborn child. I was a serial adulterer and an ambitious workaholic. I enjoyed success in my career, measured in terms of wealth and prestige and possessions, but success came at a high cost. I always chose career over my family, which resulted in two destroyed marriages and dysfunctional children. Things worsened when I started traveling internationally and I lived in isolation, including addiction to alcohol, hotel porn, and prostitutes. I was self-righteous, portraying myself in public as a Christian while privately living a loathsome life hidden from others. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I learned this lesson firsthand. But just like the prodigal son in the far country, I finally came to my senses and stopped these destructive behaviors. But sin doesn't stop, it just changes. The far country experience left me full of guilt and shame which manifested itself in continuously rescuing my dysfunctional children and idolizing my marriage. It would take me another two decades before I understood and dealt with these sins. Now, a good shepherd will often break the leg of a rebellious sheep to stop it from running off. In the same vein, I broke my hip in 2011, which dramatically changed the trajectory of my life. It took a year to recover from two surgeries and forced me to retire early. During this recovery, I realized my whole identity had been wrapped up in my career and that every one of my personal relationships were broken. I tried everything to control and fix these relationships on my own, but things just got worse. But God is faithful. Feeling desperate, I remember how my grandmother always encouraged me to attend church. I took her advice, and several years later, on August 13, 2014, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized that day by a retired DTS pastor in the pool of a community group member. This retired pastor taught me how to walk in the Spirit as a baby Christian. During the next several years, my heart was on fire for Jesus, and I consumed everything Christian. I was finally moving forward again. It was a time of revitalization and forging a new vision for my life. I changed my focus from financial success to eternal significance. My new economy was comprised of relationships with love as my currency. I started with my failing marriage, which was in a free fall. I've been married for 15 years. I idolized Mary and showered her with gifts and a great lifestyle. I felt like God was giving me a second chance at happiness. Unfortunately, I soon learned the biblical lesson of you reap what you sow. The decades of rescuing my son and daughter continued as one of my sin patterns and it was destroying our marriage. I hid rescuing my children from my, my wife and covered my tracks by lying. When Mary started withdrawing from the marriage, I made matters worse by spying on her. 
miraculously, I remained faithful to my wife during this period, and she hasn't left me, even with all the pain I've inflicted. In Joel 2.25, God promises he will repay us for the years the locusts have eaten. Convinced that God would restore our marriage, I enthusiastically studied scripture and commentaries on his design for marriage and tried applying it, but nothing seemed to work. My wife became further withdrawn, angry, and we started living like roommates. I was miserable and completely exhausted. Where was the love, peace, and joy that God promised me? Frustrated, I began searching scriptures to find a way out of my marriage. Surely this wasn't the good plan that God had for me. Looking back, indeed it was. Before giving up, I took the matter to Watermark's re-engaged marriage leader. For hours, I explained my circumstances, failed attempts, and shared scripture supporting my view for leaving the marriage. After I vented for several hours, the re-engaged leader shared how much God hates divorce and how God wants to heal my hard heart and teach me how to sacrificially love my wife as Christ loves the church. Not exactly the answer I hoped for. Um, I tried arguing 1 Corinthians 7.15, which says, If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. I argued that my wife had left our marriage relationally, emotionally, and she was living in a separate part of our home. No peace here. Then the re-engaged leader gave me a primer on God's sacrificial love for me and that God expects me to love my wife the same way. In desperation, I remember saying, so if my wife leaves me and walks out the front door, I can't even let her go? He responded by basically saying no. God wants you to get down on your knees and beg her to stay. If she keeps walking out the door, grab her leg and don't let go. Now that's how God sacrificially loves you and how he wants you to love your wife. Ooh, I was speechless. The re-engaged leader then encouraged me to stop looking for biblical loopholes and to go to regen. While I was looking for a way out of my marriage, God was looking for a way in. Amen. Me and my hard heart reluctantly started to attend regen. The testimonies and sharing and groundwork were so honest and vulnerable, it was kind of frightening. I couldn't believe how openly people were talking about their personal junk, stuff I was ashamed of and hiding. Then it just happens. Before long, I'm talking about my hurts, habits, and hang-ups with a circle of broken guys I barely know. I call it the circle of trust. What's said in regen stays in regen. It's a place to take off your mask and be fully known. It's funny how God can use strangers to change your life. Praise God. I was placed in the first 12-step group on the Plano campus, along with 15 men. The first two steps, admit and believe, created an early breakthrough for me. I already felt confident of God's will for my marriage, but when I tried following his will, things got worse and I was burnt out. The admit step basically teaches that I can't change anything in my own power, or as Romans 7:18 says, I have the desire to do what's right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. The belief step teaches, while I can't, God can, using his power. I was performing for God like a Pharisee, more interested in modifying my behaviors rather than changing my own heart. Surrendering to God requires changing from the inside out and having a deeper relationship and identity in Christ. I was also spending way too much time hating sin and not enough time loving God. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 22:37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In step four, inventory, whoa, I documented page after page of sin over my lifetime. When I began seeing the ruts of sin patterns, they often led to idols. Anyone who's serious about a deep relationship with God needs to agree with God on his sin and stop worshiping man-made idols. The Spirit revealed that idolizing my wife and rescuing my adult children were destructive, both to them and our marriage. But inventory blessed me in an unexpected way. It painted this amazing portrait of God's sacrificial love for me. He never stops pursuing me, and I see his untraceable hand in everything throughout my life. I draw upon this profound truth on days I feel like giving up on my marriage. God never gives up on me, so I will never give up on my marriage. Great is his faithfulness. The next two steps, confess and repent, teach us to be first reconciled to God. 1 John 1, 7 promises that if we walk in the light, as God walks in the light, Jesus cleanses us. Sin loves to live in the darkness, but if exposed to God's light, the light chases sin away. I learned this the hard way. After confessing to God the sin of rescuing my children and hiding it from my wife, I remember praying, Lord, teach me how to live in the light of God's truth and give me the strength and wisdom to repent. Now, I did not expect God's quick response. My wife, who doesn't trust me, soon thereafter accused me of hiding things and started searching through everything. My bank accounts, credit cards, emails, texts, phone calls, and even my wallet. I imagined God smiling down at me and saying, well, I just did what you asked for. While this was a painful and humbling way to repent from my lying and manipulating, it was highly effective. Or as my grandmother used to say, be careful what you pray for, Dean. God may pry it out of your hands. The next three steps, follow, forgive, and amends, teach us how to respond to God's grace. For me, amends was the most difficult. I sweated over making amends to my wife. I wanted to be vulnerable, authentic, and demonstrate God's grace and transformation in my life. In addition to overcoming my anxiety, I prepared myself for her reaction, which could be good, bad, or indifferent. I spread the amends over several days, and I finally asked my wife for forgiveness. Her anger and mistrust could not let her forgive me. And she said, marrying you was the worst mistake I've ever made. It doesn't matter how much I prepared my heart for this response, and it still gets me, obviously. I was devastated and speechless. But then the Spirit prompted, 
me to say, Mary, I also despise that man who caused you so much pain. I hope that someday I'm no longer that person and you'll give the new 2.0 version of me another chance. My graduation from Regen was wonderful. After six weeks of groundwork, 37 weeks of daily homework, a pile of prayer cards I keep in a bowl at home, and a mentor who knows every, my every hurt, habit, and hang-up, I graduated from Regen. Every one of the men in our group miraculously made it across the finish line. As we celebrated, we all understood the reality that regeneration will be occurring for the rest of our earthly lives. Our transformation and new life in Christ was just beginning. After reading Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul also went through regen. Paul told the Philippians, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Regen teaches us to respond to all of life's circumstances, not in our own strength, but in Jesus' strength. If your life is a mess, turn to Jesus. If your life is going great, turn to Jesus. Regen also changed my perspective on suffering. Previously, I viewed suffering as something to run away from. I couldn't stop the voices in my head beating me down. It, it, was, it felt exhausting and hopeless. Regen teaches us to suffer well. The, the book of James, tell, James tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Before Regen, I used to see God through my circumstances, thinking somehow... I need to change my circumstances in order to reach God. But this was backwards. When I saw that God was already with me, I started seeing my circumstances through God. What a relief. When you view your suffering as trials, which God is using to teach you something, it does become joyful. I used to complain about the suffering in my marriage to anyone who wanted to listen to. Uh, fun guy to be around, huh? Now I joyfully share how God is using my marriage to teach me how to sacrificially love my wife as Christ loves the church. Regen helps identify sin patterns and idols that may require more equipping to kick down the stubborn strongholds. This was my case regarding the issue of rescuing my prodigal children. Shortly after Regen, I attended Watermark's prodigal ministry it was humbling to learn that I was the prodigal who enabled my adult children and created all kinds of dysfunction in their lives and my marriage. Changing my prodigal behaviors during the past two years is having a positive impact on my children and my marriage. I stopped enabling my children and am now learning how to best love them as God loves me. To make these changes, I needed to trust God with all outcomes or in prodigal lingo, this is called laying your Isaac down. My hope is that someday my wife and I will attend re-engage together. Regen qualified as my watermark community group, but this was gone after graduation. And Regen is a great example of how community group should work. After Regen, I joined a watermark community group comprised of men 
whose covenant marriages were struggling. Most of the guys were regen graduates, and rather than sitting around complaining about our marriages, we stayed in our circles and focused on our part of being godly husbands. I encourage all of you not to go into isolation after regen. Keep seeking Jesus in community. After graduation, I became a, a regen mentor quite by accident. I was late for Sunday worship and was making a beeline for the door, traveling at my top cane speed, while some guy was making a beeline towards me. He was in regen, about to drop out, and needed a mentor. I didn't even know the guy, but agreed to be his mentor. I asked him later why he picked me, and uh, he said, well, I see you in church all the time, and you're disabled, so you must have, some, you must have overcome some things in your life. So, so I guess my advice for you is if you can't find a mentor, just tackle someone in the hall. <laughs> I felt God calling me back to Regen Ministry, and it happened first in December 2017. After a couple of months of, of leader training, I began co-leading my first 12-step group in February 2018. I would also like to give a shout-out for my second 12-step group who are sitting somewhere out there. <laughs> um, I, uh, co-leading Regen keeps giving me so much spiritual growth. Uh, seeing a group of guys seeking a deep relationship with Jesus is inspiring. And now I have a bigger bowl of prayer cards. The reason I went to Regen was my marriage, which is slowly improving, albeit at the pace of watching corn grow. We still live like roommates, and we don't trust each other. There are some green shoots popping up, though. There are some green shoots popping up, though, so I remain hopeful. Proverbs 21:31 says, "The horse is made ready for the day of the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord." Through Regen, I've come to accept that my marriage is circumstances outside of my control. I'll leave that outcome to God and focus on my part of sacrificially loving my wife. Your will, God, not mine. Finally, <clears throat> I would like to thank the Regen leadership for allowing me to speak these words tonight. But it's not just words I proclaim, for my words point to the word, and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever. Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. My name is Dean. I have a new life and identity in Christ. And by God's grace, I'm being set free from idolizing my wife, rescuing my children, and lust. Thank you.